Welcome to Chinuch 2.0, a show about the changes happening to how we do Chinuch, some of which may never be the same again. show, we're going to switch gears and talk about a recent Supreme Court ruling called the Espinoza case and how it's going to affect our community in terms of funding for yeshivas and day schools. On the last program, we spoke to Jeff Kirschblum about the severe tuition crisis and how something has to be done. Jeff's idea for solving the crisis comes from private donations. The government, he said, will never come to pay for our kids' schooling, not in our lifetime and not in anyone's lifetime. Quite frankly, I think most people that I speak to about this are very much in agreement. That being said, there are many of our community's organizations who devote tremendous effort and resources towards that very goal, getting the government to pay for our children's education. The Teach Coalition, Teach NYS, is an organization whose entire mission is to secure public funds for private schools, including yeshivas. It's an especially difficult challenge given the current political environment in New York State, but they keep up the fight and remain very optimistic. Just last week, the Supreme Court issued a ruling in the Espinoza versus the Montana Department of Revenue case, which specifically affects private religious schools, our yeshivas and day schools included. Although there aren't any yeshivas in the state of Montana, this ruling, of course, has implications all over the country. Our guest today is Rabbi A.D. Mutzen, He's the National Director of State Relations at Aguda Yisrael of America. The Aguda has been following this case very closely, and they filed several friend-of-the-court briefs, as we'll discuss. But I want you to hang out to the end of our conversation, where we discuss the question that's on everybody's mind. When are we going to see tuition vouchers in New York and New Jersey? This was a fabulous conversation, and I must admit that I am much more optimistic about the voucher effort after this discussion. Let's go to my conversation with Rabbi Mutzen. Shalom Aleichem, Rabbi Mutzen. Hello, Baron. Good to see you, or speak to you. <laughs> Good. Okay, so uh, we wanted to, I wanted to discuss with some knowledgeable this recent Supreme Court ruling Espinoza case, and everyone I spoke to said, you have to speak to Rabbi Matson. He's, he's your man. He's the one to go to. So I connected with a mutual, mutual friend, and uh, now we are. We're speaking with you. So if you can give our listeners, and not to bore them, just a quick 60-second rundown of the case and the verdict. Not, not the implications, just the case and the verdict, what it was, uh, the ruling, and, and uh, just some background. I will do my best in a short amount of time. So the case is about a uh, scholarship tax credit program in Montana. A scholarship tax credit program is where a donor gets not a deduction, but a tax credit for a donation. 
the organization that receives those uh, those donations pools the money together, gives out scholarships to give to uh, low-income children who want to attend a private school. Montana, like uh, 17 other programs around the country, they created a, a program to do so. The state went through. Uh, the state said, or the Department of Revenue said, you cannot use that scholarship at religious schools. You cannot. Um, and then uh, after a series of lawsuits went up to the Montana Supreme Court, that, um, and then the program, the whole program itself was, um, w- the, the program itself was, uh, cons- was struck down um, because it provided aid to religious schools, it was therefore, um, it was the entire program was struck down. The so this Court, is the Montana Court. Right? Montana Supreme Court. That gets us to the, you know, the the U.S. Supreme Court. What they said was that to exclude religious parents and religious schools from a program is unconstitutional. This no aid clause, the Blaine Amendment clause that Montana has that says you cannot provide aid to religious school, and in this case, the Montana court said even though it was indirect aid, it was still considered aid to the schools or that is unconstitutional. A state does not have to create a voucher program or a scholarship tax credit program. But if it does, it cannot exclude uh, people or organizations simply because of their religious status. And that's why this case is so important. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we're going to get to the implications for us soon. But I understand that the whole, this whole case was, was around a $150 tax credit, which even in Montana, is not a lot of money. So, so yeah, so why, why, we want to know why were the litigants in this case, both the state and the individual, putting so much effort and millions and millions of dollars into legal fees to fight this all the way up to the Supreme Court? So, so first of all, it's a $3 million program. Um, what, uh, e- there are many states that have uh, pursued scholarship tax credits in different ways. Some are uh, close to a billion dollars, like in Florida. So the concept exists in many states and is, is, is very important to the ability of uh, students to attend the private school. The $150 was the tax credit to the donor. Um, they, the organization, the scholarship organization, then pooled the money together. And, and it happens to be in Montana, they gave Ms. Espinoza $500 scholarships for each of her children. Um, but that's based on how much money they raised and how much they're able to give. But the, the implications is most programs started small and then increased. It is significant for parents it's significant for those who want to attend um, uh, a school that fits uh, best for their child, which happens to include a religious school. And therefore, the implications on the other side is the, the opponents don't want um, this to happen. Even They won't give a dime. They won't want even a dime going to parents who want to go to religious school or to any private school for that matter. So the, the grand implications, as we saw, is the fact that it went up to the Supreme Court. So yes, it was a Montana program. Yes, it was only $150. For credit, yes, it was only five hundred dollars for the parent, but it meant a lot. That five hundred dollars meant whether meant the difference whether or not Miss Espinoza, the single mom of several kids, could send her kids to school. It meant a lot to the thousands of children around the country who, because of this decision, are now potentially able to uh, get a scholarship uh, in the future. Mm-hmm. So the, the the Montana Supreme Court, the, the Montana, the state of Montana, that was fighting this. Uh, that was finding this Ms. Espinosa and trying to block her from receiving the scholarship, they were, what was their motivation? What, why were they trying to protect? Was it teachers' I, I, unions? 
I never, I never want to, uh, you know, figure out what someone's motivation is. But keep in mind, the state of Montana passed the law. It was the Department of Revenue that refused to go along with the law and said that um, it will, cannot apply to religious schools. And then the question was, if it doesn't apply to religious schools, the whole program um, uh, then must be struck down. Um, but uh, so when we say the state of Montana, I don't want to assume that we're not talking about the, everybody in the state. It was the Department of Revenue that was the uh, at fault here for trying to insert their view of uh, their constitution into a, into the program. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so can you take us behind the scenes of what uh, uh, that the good is involvement in this particular case? Like what, what was that good involvement? I know they file friends of the court explain what that is and what, you know, what was their involvement throughout this whole long process? So a good of America and uh, as well as our, our regional office has been involved in school choice movements in general trying to enact programs like this. You know, we just talked about Montana, a small program. Uh, just a few years ago in Illinois, my colleague Shlomo Soroka and others worked with uh, many other organiza- several other organizations. Their scholarship is about $13,000 a child. So it's something we've been involved uh, with for many years, along with allies in both uh, religious community, Catholic conferences, as well as other school choice advocates. So in this case, there are no Jewish schools currently in, um, in Montana. Um, and, um, however, there is a growing network of Chabad rabbis read by, led by Rabbi Chaim Bruck. Um, and in this case, we were approached by, uh, the advocates who were working on it, both when the bill was being passed, uh, and then later when the, after the, the, this lawsuit started to file an amicus brief. And there were only about six organizations to file this friend of the court brief to argue, uh, in the, the Montana Supreme Court, we filed a brief, um, actually our lawyer, our local council who filed the brief for us was someone that uh, this Rabbi Brook, the Chabad rabbi uh, in, uh, in Montana, connected us to. So we, we, we are grateful for that. So our, our involvement there was just simply saying, even though we don't have Jewish schools, but this has implications because if Montana can do this and, and ignore and, and, and refuse a, uh, a scholarship from this mother um, because she, attend, she plans to attend to a religious school, that has implications for other states. The concept, the Blaine Amendment, which is based on this idea that uh, 100, over 100-year-old 100 uh, um, effort, to, which at the time was anti-Catholic, to stop Catholics from forming their schools and getting any help, this idea of not giving any aid to religious schools, that uh, is something that affects not just Catholics, it affects all of us, all religious institutions, religious people from across the country. So we felt that the principle at hand was extremely important, even though we had no Jewish schools at the time. That was our original involvement. It went up to this. Then um, there was we filed a, a brief. It's called the uh, uh, it's writ of certiori, which is a uh, cert petition to ask the Supreme Court of the United States to take the case, which they did. And then and then there were oral arguments. We, it's not our case. Someone said congratulations. I did not argue that case. I'm not even a lawyer. Uh, Dick Comer from the Institute of Justice, a good friend, uh, argued the case on behalf of the the parents. Uh, so our involvement has been. Like in many cases, we are uh, monitoring. In some states, we're actually active in passing, uh, advocating for the passage of the legislation, implementing it. In this case, because Montana did not have Jewish schools, our, our involvement really has been just on the legal side, filing briefs and arguing why uh, this was, their decision was, was wrong and should be reconsidered. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, let's get down to business over here. Aguda. <laughs> has zero members, like we said, living in the state of Montana. But the, like you said, the Supreme Court decision has ramifications across the whole country. 
So how is this decision going to practically affect us tuition-paying parents, both in the near term and out, out into the future? So um, I, I, you know, I've had conversations uh, with uh, Robert Brooke. One day, maybe they, they keep growing the community in Montana. There might be a school there too. But mm-hmm. regardless, the, the, there's, a, there's two things. One is a very important statement, that, uh, that this idea of a Blaine Amendment as being a stain on, on, on American um, uh, constitu- constitutions in different states, the idea that you can have bigotry in the Constitution that says religious institutions need not apply. And, and the, the first big um, uh, case that really started to uh, take a tripped away in a major, in a major uh, roadblock was the case a few years ago, Trinity. That was a case where a, a, a Lutheran school wanted to apply for a government grant to resurface their playground. And they were refused from the grant because they were religious. They were not, they had nothing to do with what they were using it for. They want to make sure the kids didn't skin their knees. And the Trinity case was said that the odious to the Constitution, the, the, or the opinion said it is, is wrong to refuse a church from a grant that was otherwise available to everybody else simply because they're religious. And that was the first step. This took it a next step and said, even if the, the grant is to pay for an education, um, it's still, if the only reason they're being denied is because of their status, then that too is wrong and violates our constitution. So it has implications, just simply the idea that because you and I are religious or we, we maybe run to religious institutions, we should be excluded from something because of our religious status. That stain is now being removed. So that's important. Practically speaking, how does it affect some, some states? Um, so it doesn't create a voucher program. It doesn't create a scholarship program. You're right. It doesn't automatically mean that everyone's starting to get money from the state. But it means that when the state does offer a grant, this is no longer an excuse. We have, over the years, along with our allies, tried to get school choice passed in many states. Colorado, a voucher was passed by a county. It went up to the Supreme Court of Colorado, and the state said, you can't get the, vou- the voucher program was unconstitutional because it violated their state blame because of such a, such a, such a clause. Well, because um, it, was, it, was, it was going to be, it was intended to support also religious schools? Again, wherever the parent decided. Mm-hmm. And even though, um, right, it was the choice of the parent and it wasn't uh, just religious schools, that was considered unconstitutional because of this no-aid clause, the Blaine Amendment. And, and therefore, this has implications for states that have said, no, we can't do this because of a Blaine Amendment. That excuse is no longer there. We still have to go back to those states on the ground with advocates, with parents, with people who are listening to this uh, program and say, we want a scholarship program and work with the legislature, work with the executive branch to do so. This takes away one excuse. It doesn't immediately create any program. That's, that's one aspect. So school choice now has a much clearer path. There were states that until now we could not get a voucher program. We may have been able to get a scholarship tax credit program like Montana is a little different or no program at all, this changes the dynamic. There's a couple cases right now, not necessarily in the Orthodox community, uh, it will be affected immediately, but uh, there's a, a, a lawsuit in Maine that we, again, filed a brief where the state has a program that pays for tuition, but not through religious schools. That lawsuit may be affected by the Espinoza case. They're depending on, of course, which side. Both sides have said, oh, this decision, one side said this decision means we win, and the other, the other side uh, the state of Maine is saying, no, there's, there's some differences. Um, there's some, a case in Vermont that might happen as well. That's one aspect, scholarships. There's a second aspect. We now are looking at every state, every grant, every program that exists that includes 
secular and re religious, and religious organizations are excluded because of their status. So without getting into too much details, because you don't want to telegraph your next steps to your to those who may want to stop you. But now we are our team and others are looking at every state, every program, and saying, are we being excluded simply because we're quote sectarian, because we're religious? And if so, we just bring the Espinoza case with us and say, no longer. So that's another important aspect that uh, will have an effect, whether it's in New York or any other state that has a Blaine. Uh, these are uh, programs that are now going to have to be revisited uh, to see if they are violating the, the court's uh, decision. Mm -hmm. But in, in a practical sense, a state could always choose to say, oh, okay, if this money is going to go to religious schools, then we could just withdraw the whole program. And that would be that would be in in, in conform with the Supreme Court ruling, correct? As, as the state says, as the court says, a state need not subsidize private education. They don't have to have a grant, but what they can't do is say that the private secular school or private secular organization is eligible, but a religious one is not. Now, states offer these grants for a reason. So it might be in their best interest to offer grants, whether it's to keep people safe, safety grants. Um, you know, we have, uh, we're getting grants. And, and, and again, as I said earlier, it, it's very often just an excuse. There are grants right now. We get security grants, whether it's in New York, whether it's a federal government, there are security grants, synagogues, shuls, and, 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 and religious churches and, and mosques are getting grants. They're using it for a specific purpose, uh, security. Mm -hmm. And and they and the and the, even though it's a religious organization, all organizations are eligible, including religious organizations. But sometimes, either because of lawsuits or because of the government, will use it as an excuse and say we can't give it to religious organizations. That excuse is no longer. Mm -hmm. Now, the states that currently have some sort of uh, tuition assistance program, voucher program, like in Ohio, Indiana, right. those states, uh, they they haven't been using this uh, th th this policy to exclude religious schools from their programs. Excellent question. So Ohio, I live in Ohio, um, uh, and we have, a, a, so we have five voucher programs, not scholarship tax credit, but voucher, five voucher programs. One of them, the Cleveland voucher program, uh, went all the way up to the Supreme Court. And there, the argument was not because of the Blaine, which we do have such a clause, but really there, the argument, well, I guess, well, think about it. there, the argument was focused on, is this considered um, a violation of the establishment clause, that the fact that government is providing aid to the school, and the government's not allowed to provide aid to the school, uh, to religious institutions. And there, the, the court said that because it is, the, the money is not going to the school, the money's going to the parent, and using their free choice of, of a, number, a, a range of schools, they've decided, and even if most of them decided to go to religious school, that's not considered the government giving aid. So there was a different focus, um, but there, uh, uh, they, uh, that program was considered constitutional. So since that major landmark case, the, the, that was Zellman uh, versus Sims-Harris, that was the case of uh, almost 20 years ago now um, in, uh, in the Cleveland voucher program. So a voucher was permissible if the state so wished to do so, and it wasn't considered that the government was giving the money. Um, here we had a very different type of, we had the opposite angle. Here the angle was if the, was really regarding um, the, this Blaine Amendment, the, the no aid clause, and can you exclude religious schools, or is, is excluding religious school unconstitutional? That was a, so a, a different type of, of case. But uh, any case that uh, after Zellman especially had a voucher, uh, they 
the fact that they had a Blaine Amendment didn't 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 matter, and they passed mm-hmm. those laws. Okay, let, 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 let's go to a, a question from a listener. We have a, a listener in Detroit who asked us a question. It's been a busy week for the Supreme Court. I think they're clearing out uh, all their cases for the year, right? So uh, they, yeah. Uh, yeah, So this is this is a busy week for uh, advocacy groups just, uh, such as Agudas Sisral. So they just released another ruling, something a, 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 in a case called the Guadalupe case, that religious, uh, religious schools cannot be sued for employment discrimination, which is obviously something that our community should have a very strong interest in. Uh, do you, so I have a question relating to how, how th- this affects uh, school funding, but uh, do you want to comment at all about that ruling? So that was ruling we also celebrated. We um, I could have didn't file a brief on its own. Um, Nat Lewin, uh, the great constitutional scholar, has filed a brief on behalf of Culpa, um, which is a, a, a coalition of uh, a commission and had several organizations sign on. Um, that was a very important case. And again, it did not just to clarify. It wasn't that a religious school is never able to be sued uh, for employment decisions. But uh, definitely, with the, it expanded the ministerial exception, the concept of how uh, the government cannot be telling a church, synagogue, or religious group who should be their uh, religious leaders, and therefore, um, religious em- employment of religious leaders are decided by the organization, by the religious group. And the question is, how far does that go? Does that only refer to the priest, the rabbi, imam, or teachers? And the case here was two Catholic teachers, and the ca- and the court did decide that uh, looking at what the teacher does, even though the teacher wasn't called maybe minister, it was, but the teacher um, filled some ministerial roles, it was, it was enough to uh, gain that ministerial exception, which, like you said, would protect the school from a lawsuit um, on employment issues. Mm-hmm. So this would have a practical effect. And yeshiva, let's say, yeshiva hires, a, a, would, would it extend even, let's say, to the, the secular studies department if they hire a teacher who turns out to be a bad influence on the children and uh, maybe espousing bad, bad views that the school feels is a threat to the children and they want to they, they terminate him or her? Is that something that would be covered by this ruling? So with the caveat that I'm not a employment attorney, um, and you're asked a legal question, um, and you added in a few other things that, you know, employers are in some cases are at will, and in some empl- employees, in some cases, you can you can also fire people for, for violating school codes and school, right. school rules. But uh, the issue is, uh, with the ministerial exception, is that their ministerial exception makes the person, ex- makes the organization exempt from, uh, in this case, Title VII, employment discrimination laws. So even though the case may be a age discrimination case, which was mm-hmm. one of the arguments in that case, it was an age discrimination case, not about that she didn't, you know, and they're, they're claiming, the school claimed it wasn't about age, it was about performance. Mm-hmm. So the question is, can that even be brought, that lawsuit be forward, uh, be, brought, be brought forward? Um, so in the case at hand was Catholic teachers, Catholic school teachers who taught religion, and the question was how, how much of their job your case, if it was a totally secular, those are things that are, 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 are still un, um, I guess we're, we're not determined by the court if it goes any further. You know, that's always the question. The case at hand was Catholic school teachers who did have uh, religious uh, duties and there were other aspects of this case. So this does not answer automatically every type of case of a secular, uh, of a secular teacher. It does, it's clear that if it's a uh, I think this case does show that if it's religious studies and the Muda Kodesh staff, I think that uh, would be uh, easily covered. And then the gray area would be somewhere in between where, like this case, uh, it, it, might, it might depend on a court decision. Um, mm-hmm. But the court gave clarity on 
what um, what criteria or what things should be looked at when um, when deciding ministerial exception. Okay, so yeah, so the listener's question was more specific with with something that that you know something that you're very involved in, which is to try to get uh, government funding in, in different w- different ways for schools. And obviously, that comes usually government government funding is not free. There's always tit for tat, like you know, with more funding comes more involvement, and and you know, they they insert more of their direction in how the schools run. So is this ruling now going to give some sort of protection, at least in terms of who the school has to employ and who the school has to maintain on their payroll? It definitely gives the school more autonomy. And especially if, you know, especially we have it's less so in the, maybe the, the from schools, um, less formally so, but in, in, in Christian schools, uh, every teacher is a minister and things like that. And, and, uh, um, and that's the question here with the Catholic school, they had different types of teachers. So you definitely, it, it, it's a, it's a win for school, religious schools, that there's more autonomy uh, for religious school. As far as government money comes with government strings, it's something we always struggle with and we fight for both. We fight for um, funding where, where, especially now we have, there's other funding CARES Act and there's other aspects that we're working on, Title I, there, there, there's funding. Why should our children not receive the same benefits everybody else? And just because the children are getting benefits, especially if it's going through the parents, like in a scholarship, why should the school who is being kind enough to accept that a child and accept that funding, why should they suddenly be uh, required to have a long laundry list of uh, government regulations? There should be both uh, the ability to get funding, fair way, equitable, and at the same time, the schools as religious schools should be given a wide berth and have autonomy. So we're going to fight for both. And we've done success, as we've done so successfully in most states where uh, we're able to get certain funding. At the same time, uh, there are some minimal requirements, absolutely. At the same time, uh, the state should uh, not be uh, coming in. Otherwise, we're going to have uh, what's the difference? We're going to be uh, we're going to end up being the same public school, and that's not what the parents want. And and actually, the court referenced this idea that parents should be the ones to determine um, and uh, their their child's uh, education, including a religious school. I, I will say you mentioned that the person's from Michigan. Michigan, I believe, right? You said the person the yes. caller was from Michigan. Michigan has one of the worst uh, Blaine amendments. In the country, because it doesn't only forbid aid, direct aid. It forbids indirect aid, and not only for religious schools, but any private school. Any private school. And, and it has a. It actually lists all the things you can't do. So it's uh, it's a case. We actually are involved in a case in Michigan right now. Uh, again, we filed the brief uh, in a case where about reimbursement. That that case has been on hold, waiting for Espinoza and waiting for briefs about even the Trinity. Uh, case that I mentioned earlier. So we'll see what happens. But but Detroit or Michigan in general is more complicated because the state is uh, has a very, very strict uh, no aid clause that uh, does not allow any aid for private schools with some interesting exceptions like busing and some security stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay, yes. And, and but since their laws are specific, uh, are just exclude all private schools in general, they shouldn't be, it shouldn't be affected by this ruling. Uh, we hope they will. We we are we will make we made the argument in in court in Michigan uh, that even Trinity should um, should have some effect. I did that you know the playground case, and and we are definitely going to make the same argument that Espinoza should. But under but I, we understand that it is more complicated because it is not the same uh, constitution as Montana's. Mm-hmm. Okay, now shifting over to the political side of things, and I know it's a fast day, so I'll be easy on you. Um, talking about in general, private school funding, getting government funding for schools, it's a tough battle. You, you know, it's a very, very tough battle. 
And we've been hearing about this for as long as I go those around, probably they've been fighting for this at least 40 years. And Rabbi Zubel just noted in, a, in an interview that the current political environment is not headed in the right direction in terms of getting more funding. You know, the, the liberal progressive uh, are, are gaining strength in the legislature and the, the teachers unions are going to have more power, which is going to, you know, any type of private funding, private school funding is going to come under intense scrutiny and, and, and resistance. So, Rabbi Matson, as, as the national director of state relations at Agudas Yisrael, are we wasting our time trying to get vouchers in New York? Is it, is it even, do we think that, is it reasonable to say that in our lifetimes we're going to see where New York and, and New Jersey are going to actually come to a point where there's private school, where, where the state will actually fund parents to pay for their private school education? Um, so so there's a lot to unpack there in a short amount of time, so I'll, I'll try. First of all, um, just recall, it, wasn't, it was only a few years ago where you had a Senate and the governor, same Governor Cuomo, uh, who's currently your governor, uh, propose a scholarship tax credit, a major scholarship tax credit. And, um, and not only support it or agree to sign it, it was his, he made it his bill. So the idea that it can't happen is, is simply, you know, I, I, don't, I don't believe that. Um, there, it is difficult. It is a challenge. Um, a waste of time. I heard the same thing in Cleveland and in Ohio years ago. And guess what? Now there are millions of, of dollars going to uh, thousands of children, including those attending or choosing to attend Jewish day schools. They're getting, in some cases, about $6,000 a child. In Illinois, you could have easily said that it's impossible. It's a liberal Democrats control the state. And, and I, along with my counterparts in Illinois, we visited the state house in Springfield every year. We talked about this issue and we came down and the Catholics talked about this issue. And a few years ago, under a Republican governor, but a democratically controlled house, they made a deal. It's politics. They made a deal. And they passed a $100 million scholarship tax credit program. And when the governor, current governor came in and said, you know, I don't like that program. I think I'm going to end it. Guess what? Not only did he end it, things are going, you know, the, the, the legislature um, continued to press. And uh, thanks to friends in the legislature and, and many advocates, parents who are sitting at home saying the same thing you were 10 years ago, who went down to the state house and called and emailed. And guess what? They have a program, $13,000 a child. Um, so the answer is, of course, it's, it is worth the effort. You have to be realistic. Um, it doesn't mean you're going to get vouchers tomorrow. Um, there's another avenue as well. There's the federal government. Right now, um, there, there ha- we have been working for uh, for couple, last couple of years on a, on a federal uh, program. That would still need state buy-in, but the federal government dangling could be $50 million or more to the state and saying, if you buy in and you have, there could be a scholarship tax credit, not like Montana's $150, but same concept, but it could be $5,000 a child. And that's something that has been pushed by the Secretary DeVos, who we've had a longstanding relationship, and this is something she stood up uh, again and again and talked about. Um, and it's right now being discussed, uh, the rumors from Washington. There was an article uh, last week that there's rumors that that's even being discussed in the next stimulus package as a, a possible, um, possible deal. What's going to happen? It's politics. I can't tell you what's going to happen. But I can tell you that the administration's behind this. They've talked about it many times. Secretary DeVos has been behind it. And if you have a $5 billion, which she had talked about in the past, and, and there's a House and Senate bill, Ted Cruz is the Senate sponsor, $5 billion for the country for a scholarship, for a scholarship tax credit. That can, make, that can have a meaningful uh, impact in New York and New Jersey. So we all need to get up, talk to our member of Congress, and, and, and see what we can do. 
And miracles uh, can happen in, 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 in Illinois. They can happen in Washington as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just to close off, what would be your ask of the audience? Like, well, how could parents who are struggling so much to pay, to, to pay tuition for their children, it's a real sacrifice. What could us as parents do to try to get us to, closer to this goal of, of reaching, you know, the, of finally achieving some sort of government uh, funding of, of our schools? Right. I, I will say that there is, you know, before we get to that, there, people should not ignore that in New York, where you live, there are, there's, there are, there is already a lot of funding. There's hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just that you also have 140,000 kids in, right. in the Jewish schools. And yeah, so, so the money gets, uh, you know, so busing or, or mandated services or, or other things that, that, that having achieved by working with a good, good Israel or the Catholic conference or with the Orthodox Union, other groups have, have, have come to Albany and, and, and have advocated. And the reason they're effective is because they represent those people listening, those parents. And, and the way to make sure that the politicians understand we actually represent those parents is by them developing relationships if they can on the ground for those who have that ability. And for those who don't, when that email comes and says, press send and, and, and talk to your congressman or come to Albany or come to the cities, you know, the, the, Whichever, whichever state house you're in, um, that makes a difference. They see parents, they see schools. So the answer is get engaged. In New York, we have a government affairs team. In, in many states, we have government affairs team where they can contact uh, me in the national uh, office. I'll connect them to the right person. The get engaged, don't give up, and uh, make your case. And uh, as we have seen around the country, there are thousands of kids right now who will tell those, tell your listeners they are currently receiving scholarships to their religious schools because somebody advocated in their behalf and because they stepped up. It's possible and it will happen hopefully in more states. Mm-hmm. Do, these, do, do these efforts really help? Like uh, the, the letter campaigns and the, the calling campaigns to the senators and the, and the legislatures, do they actually listen and, and, and choose their decisions based on what the feedback that they're getting? I'll tell you the truth. I'll end with a story that there are some people who are made up their minds and you're not going to change them you know, other than leadership, which makes, you know, leadership makes deals though. And it's politics and, but they listen and they hear it. And, and, um, and yeah, we're up against people who, who have a different view and, and, and are fighting back. But even a person who maybe wants to help and is maybe on the other side or maybe on the fence, but when they hear a, a parent who talk, talks about their own situation and they're not paid lobbyists, they're really just coming speaking from the heart. It, it, it makes them more motivated to help. And it, it and the people on the fence, it could even change them. I, I, I heard this story many times from the Senate president in Ohio, Dick Finan. Uh, I was very close with him, still am. I haven't seen him in a while. Um, and he was the Senate president when the Cleveland voucher program was passing. And, and he got a phone call once 10 o'clock at night. And he was the only one in his office. He picked up the phone himself. And this lady clearly was not expecting to get a human being. She was going to leave a message. And, and after getting over the fact that she realized she's talking to the Senate president, she said the following story. She said she had three children, I believe, each one of them from a different father. Each of their fathers were dead, had been killed. This is inner city Cleveland. She sent her kids to Catholic school, thanks to the Cleveland voucher. And at the time, they were talking about possibly ending it. And she said, please, please keep the voucher program. I don't know what I would do without it. And... um, she said, I don't want them to end up dead like their fathers. When he heard that, he was a supporter. But to hear a woman 
explain that this wasn't just about money and teachers unions and, and religious schools or Catholic schools. This was about whether or not her children would live or would they end up dead on the streets like so many others. And he has repeated that story. The reason why I know it is because I heard him say it many, many times. And that motivated him and energized him to, to push forward. And I think that's the power of parents telling stories to the legislator. The people who are not going to be made, their minds are made up the other way, you might not change their mind. The people on the fence, you might move. And the people who may already be supportive, can, you know, to vote for you, but to actually get them to be energized and, and push forward and, and to speak on the issue, it, it helps. And of course, voting. If you don't vote, you know, right. <laughs> we don't really have a saying about it. Yes, and we always, we always hear that message and how many people actually uh, are, are listening. <laughs> in, in, in Illinois, in Chicago, they vote. Uh-huh. And, the le- and the legislators know that. Okay, good. Okay, Ramatan, I, I, I don't think I'm alone by saying thank you so much for what you and Agodisral are doing tirelessly on behalf of all of us. We really, really appreciate it. We, we couldn't do it without you and keep up the fight. Thank you, Aaron. And again, it's not just me. I, I am one piece of, uh, of the puzzle there. My colleagues in Aguda across the country are, and other allies are obviously the real heroes who are working on this uh, day and night and, and, uh, and deserve the real thanks. Indeed. Thank you to all. You've been listening to Chinuch 2.0, a show exploring the changes happening to how we do Chinuch. Chinuch 2.0 is hosted and produced by me, Aaron Parnas. Special thanks to David Lichtenstein of Headlines, who inspires the show. You can subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts or on our website, chinuchshow.com. For suggestions, comments, or guest ideas, please visit chinuchshow.com. Thanks for listening.